I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we'll be looking at the last three chapters of the Bible, Revelation chapters 20 through 22. In chapter 20, we find the millennium, the description of it, and the defeat of Satan. Verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they set upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, Neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, and compassed the camp of the saints about, in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven, and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night for ever and ever. Well, here we are to chapter 20, and let's get our setting, let's get our bearings. The Battle of Armageddon has been fought and won at this point, and the Antichrist's forces have been defeated. We saw that in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. The tribulation period of seven years, of course, is over. At this point in time, Satan is bound for 1,000 years. That's the beginning of the millennium. We see that in verse 3. First, however, there's a resurrection of the slain tribulation saints who will reign with Christ for 1,000 years. The only biblical reference to a prophetic millennium is found here in Revelation chapter 20. The bottomless pit of verse 1 is from the Greek word abyssos, which is transliterated into our English word abyss. For Satan, this is a temporary stay, only 1,000 years. The Greek word for nations there in verse 3 is ethnos, which is used in the New Testament as a reference to non-Jewish people. We're going to see the release of Satan down in verses 7 through 10. So let's take a note of the following issues regarding the millennium. First of all, it doesn't fulfill all of the Old Testament prophecies, especially the forever part. Only saved people enter the millennium, but many do not get saved during the thousand-year period, and they rebel down in verses 7 through 10. We'll see that in a few moments. When the millennium ends, a new heaven, earth, and Jerusalem will be created. We see that in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. There will be a physical temple on earth during the millennium, 
but not afterward. Ezekiel's temple, the one found in the millennium, is, is seen in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48. There's no temple in the New Jerusalem, according to Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. And during the millennium, there'll be peace under the Messiah, forced compliance, but yet peaceful. The structure of verses 4 and 5 is somewhat confusing. The first resurrection of verse 5 is a reference to the resurrection of the people described in verse 4. Those are the ones who lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. There's a parenthetical statement in verse 5 that says, But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. That is not a reference to the first resurrection people, but rather it refers to the people who declined salvation in Jesus Christ and are to appear before the white throne judgment that we'll see down in verses 11 through 15. Let's take a look at the collective resurrections that take place in Scripture. First of all, Old Testament believers at the resurrection of Jesus Christ are resurrected. We see that in Matthew 27, 52 and 53, and also Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. See the written notes on Bible track for those passages to get more detail. Secondly, those saved since the resurrection of Jesus Christ are raptured in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 51 through 58. Again, see the written notes on BibleTrack.org for more detail there as well. Thirdly, those saved between the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation, those people are resurrected in Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. And finally, there is yet another resurrection, and it's those who have declined to trust God by faith prior to the first incarnation of Jesus, and those who have rejected Jesus as Savior since that time. We see that resurrection described in Revelation chapter 20, verse 5, and verses 11 to 15. And we'll notice that in just a few moments to see the nature of that resurrection and what takes place afterwards. You'll notice that the wicked dead aren't resurrected until after the millennium. That's verses 4 and 5, as I just mentioned. After this 1,000-year period, Satan is loosed only for a short time, verse 7, but long enough to gather an army of rebels who will have declined to get saved during the millennium, verses 8 and 9. Now take this note. The millennium starts out with all saved people, but this rebel force will be made up of people born during the millennium who decline a personal relationship with Christ. While they will obey under the righteous rule of the Messiah, it is not in their hearts to do so. They will only obey the Messiah out of necessity. Of course, Satan is defeated once and for all at the end of the millennium, and he'll be cast into his final home, which is the lake of fire. So, here's a question. Who exactly are the people described in verse 4? Well, here's what it says of them. And I saw thrones, and they set upon them, and judgment was given unto them. Well, while we aren't told for certain, that seems like an easy call. The rapture that we saw in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 takes all believers to heaven where we are told in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Paul asked this rhetorical question in 1 Corinthians 6.2. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Well, I'm convinced that Paul taught that the saints, believers, 
will be part of the millennium ruling team. So they are likely the ones sitting on the thrones here in verse 4. That notion is confirmed in verse 6 where it is said of them, But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. There can really be no question but that the priesthood of the believer is a clear New Testament doctrine. We saw that in Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 and again in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. Let's be clear about this very important aspect of the yet future millennium. This is the messianic kingdom prophesied by the prophets of the Old Testament. However, the Old Testament prophets saw two distinct periods, the 1,000-year millennium and the new heaven and new earth, which begins in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. After the creation of the new heaven and earth, the earth will no longer be populated by unregenerate people. All will be God's people. However, during the millennium, there will appear a growing number of descendants of the original millennium inhabitants who will decline a faith relationship with the Messiah. Nevertheless, these people will comply with the wishes of the Messiah all the way down to the end of the millennium, at which time Satan will gather them as his allies in battle when he is loosed. We saw that in verse 7. That event in verses 8 through 10 marks the end of all resistance against God for eternity. Now, I should point out here that the existence of potential enemies during this period, the period of the millennium, is not a foreign concept of the Messianic kingdom in Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah described it in Isaiah 54, verses 14 and 15, where he says, In righteousness shalt thou be established, thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. There in that passage, Isaiah references the existence of an enemy during the Messianic kingdom, but one that is not able to harm the righteous inhabitants. We see a reference in verse 8 to Gog and Magog. In Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39, we see this enemy Gog and Magog as specific countries that ally with others to attack Jerusalem during the tribulation. However, here in verse 8, they undoubtedly represent a composite of the worldwide enemies of Christ at the end of the millennium, inasmuch as they are gathered from the four quarters of the earth to do this battle. There is no indication in this passage that this rebellion consists of any Jews whatsoever. Per the New Covenant of Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, we can safely assume that this 1,000-year period begins that specified relationship between God and the Jewish people, as indicated in that passage that we call the New Covenant in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. There are really three reasons why we know that this rebellion consists of Gentiles. First of all, Israel will be living under the New Covenant of Jeremiah 31, where we know that all the Jews that are present will know the Lord. We're told that in that covenant. Secondly, the Greek word for nations in verse 3 is ethnos. That word is used in the New Testament as a reference to non-Jewish people. And thirdly, these rebels are described in verse 8 as Gog and Magog. These are references to the Gentile enemies of God. Notice in verse 10 that Satan will be finally cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. 
This is Satan's final non-resting place, and it's not climate-controlled. More company follows, seen in verses 11 through 15, as a result of the white throne judgment. Well, let's take a look at the white throne judgment in verses 11 through 15, reading now verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire." White Throne Judgment. That sounds pretty, doesn't it? Unfortunately, these five verses describe an event where the wicked dead are judged just prior to being cast into the lake of fire. The book described here is the Lamb's Book of Life, a compilation containing all who have ever been saved. This is the only basis for going to heaven. Verse 15 says so when it says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, what about the books in verse 12? Obviously, from the context of verses 12 and 13, these books contain a list of the works of lost people. Why? Well, if they're going to the lake of fire anyway, for lack of having their names written in the book of life, what difference do their works make? I can only offer an educated guess here, but I think there must be different degrees of punishment in the lake of fire, thus making the works of even these lost people somewhat significant. That's just a guess, though. It does seem reasonable, however, that someone like, say, Hitler, should receive more severe punishment after death than others. Incidentally, this judgment found here in this passage is one of six judgments concerning mankind. I've written an article entitled Six Judgments in Scripture, found on the front page, the main page of BibleTrack.org. Let's take a closer look at verse 13. There we find three places of confinement listed for the unsaved dead. The sea, death, and hell. This distinction would appear to be for the purpose of making certain that the reader understands this to be all of the dead who are without Christ, not to create a doctrine of three distinct holding places. No such distinction can be validated elsewhere in Scripture. It is likely that the distinction made here is related to the outcome of the event which immediately precedes the White Throne Judgment, the Gog-Magog Rebellion. There appears to be no lapse of time between the destruction of the Gentile aggressors there and their appearance before the White Throne Judgment. It makes sense, therefore, that these death people and these sea people are the ones who did not spend one millisecond in hell but rather were transported from their point of destruction immediately to appear before Jesus for judgment. So these would have spent absolutely no time in hell. Therefore, the distinction. You'll notice from verse 14 that hell is also cast into the lake of fire. If you follow the link that I listed a few moments ago in Matthew 27, 52, and 53, and saw the notes there, and also Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, then you read Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, where Jesus said, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Then and now, 
Hell is located at the center of the earth, according to Jesus. At the end of the millennium, according to verse 14, Hell will be removed from the heart of the earth and cast into the lake of fire. So why? What's the reason? This sphere that we currently inhabit called earth will be destroyed at the end of the millennium to make way for a new heaven and a new earth. Now, let's take note of the eternal inhabitants of the lake of fire according to scripture. First of all, you have the wicked Jews that are found in Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 through 30. Verse 30 in that passage says, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We find then wicked Gentiles and demons, according to Matthew 25, 31-46. In verse 41, that passage, we find this, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Thirdly, we find the beast and the false prophet are also going to be there in the lake of fire. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, it says this, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And then, fourthly, we find that Satan will be there. Revelation 20 verse 10 says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And finally, all of the wicked since the creation of the world will be there in the lake of fire. And that is per the white throne judgment shown here in verses 11 through 15. That brings us to chapter 21. Before we look at chapter 21, let me just say that the first eight verses contain an outline of what we're going to be seeing in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. I've prepared an outline on the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today's reading, December 31st. I encourage you to go there and consult that outline. Beginning now with verse 1 of chapter 21, reading. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Up through the judgment of Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 through 15, the white throne judgment, 
the earth described there is the same earth that we inhabit today, the one created in Genesis. At the end of that passage, hell is removed from the center of the earth and cast into the lake of fire. At that time, the wicked dead are cast directly into the lake of fire. Revelation 21.1 tells us of a new heaven and a new earth that will be created immediately following the millennium. There are no unrighteous people on the new earth, nor will there ever be from that time forward. Satan will have been permanently banished to the lake of fire, and the old earth creation will have been destroyed. Only righteousness will prevail throughout eternity. Isaiah prophesied of a new heaven, a new earth, and a newly created Jerusalem. However, it is difficult, if not impossible, to see a distinct line in this prophecy between the millennium and this recreation. He apparently saw aspects of each in the same vision in Isaiah chapter 60 and Isaiah chapter 65. In the Old Testament, conditions of the millennium and conditions of the new earth are not clearly differentiated. Note particularly these verses regarding the new heaven and the new earth. In Isaiah 65 verse 17, it says the following, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. In Isaiah 66 22, he says, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, we see Peter writing, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Verse 2 speaks of a new Jerusalem. We get some detail on this holy city, beginning in verse 10. This supernatural city descends from heaven and contains the bride of Christ. Jesus is the husband. All the descriptions people generally associate with heaven are really descriptions of the new Jerusalem. We are told in verse 3 that God will dwell with man from this point forward. Let's be clear. This is a physical reign over the new earth. Here is where we find the permanent messianic reign of Jesus, and only saved people will exist on the earth. Those with glorified bodies will be at home in the new Jerusalem. Verse 4 differentiates this period from any other in Scripture when it says this, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. We see in verses 7 and 8 that only righteous people will dwell with God from this point forward, while all others, as we see in verse 8, will dwell in the lake of fire. Now let's read beginning with verse 9 about the new Jerusalem. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, Come hither and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God and her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And it had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. 
And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, an hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, likened to clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasus, the eleventh the jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. In this passage, verse 9 speaks of the bride, the Lamb's wife. Of course, the groom is Jesus, the Lamb. The bride is a collective term referring to all of those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. The New Jerusalem described here is a cube, a huge cube, 1,400 miles to each side. That's a different living concept than usual, one that's particularly suited to people with glorified bodies like ourselves. Verse 27 tells us that only perfect people will live there, people who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We're talking about saved people. It's obvious from this passage that the Messiah, Jesus, rules from New Jerusalem, and that believers, the bride, dwell there as well. Paul portrays the church as the bride of Christ in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 33. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, we see ten virgins. These are bride attendants. Those are Jews who enter into the millennium from the tribulation without dying. We see in verses 12 through 14 that a wall surrounds the area where the city is situated. In verses 15 to 17, we see that the wall has 12 gates, each with an angel, named after the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 foundations of the wall are named after the 12 apostles of Christ. The wall is 144 cubits high. That's about 216 feet. We see some interesting building materials here in verses 18 to 21. The wall around the city is made of jasper. The city is made of transparent gold, streets too and the foundation of precious stones, the gates of pearl. Well, I mean, who wouldn't want to live there? Notice a few unusual features about the New Jerusalem. No night, no sun, no moon. Jesus is the light. And notice that there's no temple there either. Ezekiel's temple, found in Ezekiel chapters 40 and 41, also seen throughout the rest of Ezekiel, all the way down to chapter 48, 
is part of the old earth during the millennium, which is gone at this point in time. Sacrifices will be made at that temple, Ezekiel's temple during the millennium, as a memorial of salvation through Jesus Christ. We see that in Ezekiel chapter 43. But that's not going to be the case on the new earth or in the new Jerusalem, according to Revelation 21-22. And it says the following, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Now it should be noted that this marks a period substantially different from that of the millennium which precedes it. Jesus still reigns as the Messiah, but there are no provisions from here to eternity for the existence of unregenerate people as there were during the millennium. Now here's what we see in this passage. We also see it in Isaiah chapter 65 and 66. There will be other earth dwellers as well, in addition to those who dwell in the New Jerusalem. We see that in verses 24 through 26. Verse 27 indicates once again that there will be no unregenerate people located anywhere in the New Earth or, of course, in the New Jerusalem. And then we have the conclusion to the whole Bible, Revelation chapter 22. Beginning now reading with verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light. And they shall reign for ever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou, do it not. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and adulterers and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. 
If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The description of the New Jerusalem continues from chapter 21 in verses 1 through 5 here. From the throne proceeds a pure river of water of life. The tree of life there keeps everyone healed and there will be no more curse on the earth. Moreover, all are in Christ who are in the New Jerusalem, the New Earth. Incidentally, notice that God will provide the light for everyone. This state of perfection is eternal. John begins closing his prophecy in verse 6. We are told that John's revelation has the same authority as the prophecies of the Old Testament prophets. The imminent appearing of Jesus Christ is to be anticipated. The Greek verb for keepeth there in verse 6 is tereo, which means to guard. In other words, we are to guard the book of Revelation. In verses 8 and 9, we see that John has an inclination to worship the angel messenger who appears before him. The angel proclaims to John that only God is to be worshipped. In verse 10, John is told by the angel that this prophecy is not to be kept private. At the time of the completion of this prophecy, the spiritual state of all will remain unchanged throughout eternity. The words here, unjust and righteous, are opposites of the exact same Greek root, dikaios. The word holy here means set apart. In verse 12, the judgment seat of Christ is referenced. The ones that do his commandments, in verse 14, are believers. John defines them as such in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, when he says, And this is a commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Those without, in verse 15, are, of course, the lost. Let's take a closer look at verse 16. This prophecy is directed to the churches. Jesus is the root and the offspring of David. The Messianic promise through David is seen in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12-16, through 16, where we have the Davidic covenant. At this point in time, all will have been fulfilled in that prophecy. Verse 17 is an invitation to salvation for all who trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And then a warning in verses 18 and 19. Don't mess with the contents of the book of Revelation. It is what it is, a revelation of the end that is progressively illuminated to us as we approach the end of this dispensation. As time passes, more and more of this prophecy is specifically manifested to us as we see current events fall into place. Well, let's close it out by saying this. As someone notably said, I read the end of the book, and we win. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. 
The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.